The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, before I begin the message today, I felt like I might ought to preface uh, with this scripture, one that's familiar to in Acts chapter 20. You'll understand more, perhaps, why I use this scripture uh, a little bit later. But let me just read this to you from Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse number 27, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to uh, the Ephesian elders. Um, is probably the last time he was able to speak with them personally. And he says in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And I just want to call your attention to this peculiar language that Paul uses about people who bring in heresies, false doctrines into the church and teach them. He says there are grievous wolves that will enter in among you. If I speak a little bit strongly in a few minutes about such things, on the very same subject, really, that we'll get into that Paul spoke of here, don't say that Pastor Smith is too hard on people. Don't say that he's saying something that he ought not to say from the pulpit. We'll question that in just a little bit as we get into the message. Now, if you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, our subject once again today is Satan. This is the fourth Sunday morning that we've turned our attention to this particular passage. And I don't want you to get the impression that because we've, I am preaching so much about Satan that this is the church of Satan. Uh, this is not the church of Satan. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm teaching this because we need to know who the great enemy of the soul is. And we also need to understand that this enemy is not greater than our Lord and that he can be defeated by the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so my main purpose is that Christians would be aware of the power of Satan. And I want to show you, as Paul did, that living for the Lord is difficult, and that's because we have powers of darkness that are against us. And though these powers are more terrible than you can ever imagine, you have been promised victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you ought not to think that your perseverance in the faith of Christ is going to be easy. It won't be easy. And that's because of this very powerful enemy that is against us. And so the scriptures refer to the Christian life as being warfare. It says that we are in a fight, that we are wrestling and fighting, and the one that we fight with has more power than anyone that you'll ever know, but he is no match for the Almighty God. And so our purpose is to speak to Christians, but I think that there's also something here for non-Christians. If there is someone here today who is not a Christian, today's message will show you that all churches are not alike, that all preachers are not alike, 
And because you enter into a building that has the name Christian Church on it, or Christian on the outside of it, and the people inside call themselves Christians, that does not mean that they actually do follow Jesus Christ. And that's because Satan is a great counterfeiter. He uh, deceives people. He blinds their minds to the truth of the gospel. He can make you think that you walked into a Christian church when he is actually the power that's behind the pulpit. Now, this is what Paul says about him in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, you'll notice the last part of verse number 11. It says that we are able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles is the Greek word methodia. It's the word from which we get our English word method. And so Paul is saying that the devil has many methods. He has many avenues of attack, and all of them involve trickery and deceit. Satan is very good at perverting the truth, he changes the gospel. He pretends that salvation is by another method. And he convinces people that his method is right and that his method is actually the true teaching of the Word of God. There isn't a doctrine in God's Word that Satan has not perverted. Now, I'm asked many times, why are there so many different churches? I mean, you travel around town, travel around our city, travel around the United States, they're all different kinds of of churches. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? And there's only really one answer to that, and that is because there is this thing that is called counterfeit Christianity. The devil lies, his religion is a lie, and without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you don't have any way to recognize when the devil is telling you a lie. You can't tell truth from error without the Holy Spirit. Now, God is always consistent, and so you're not going to find God in different places and different churches that are teaching different ways that people can get to heaven. God is not inconsistent with himself. He's not inconsistent with the way that people worship him. And so there is only one way that you can worship God. Some months ago, I, I warned a couple that left here because they had a desire that they would find a place where there was more aesthetically pleasing, a liturgical style of worship and we need to beware of those kinds of things because that is demon activity. Satan plays on emotions. In some churches, it's formalism and ritualism. In others, it's a desire for the visible, for the supernatural, for even bizarre, very bizarre manifestations of the Spirit. And so you see in some churches, they'll do things like speak in tongues and have miraculous healings. But either of those kinds of things, whether it's ritualism or non-traditionalism, those things are emotional tactics, and that's part of Satan's wiles. He has many different methods. Well, last week we looked at Satan's descriptions. He is called a prince. He wants you to think that he is Prince Charming. He'll come and he'll sweep you off of your feet with sweet pleasantries. He'll promise you that you can have all the desires of your heart, but you ought not to fall for that, because the devil's ways are always ways of death and destruction. He's also called a god. 
That's a peculiar thing, way that the Bible describes him. He is called a God. Not God with a big G, but God with a little G. And that just tells you the kind of power that Satan has. Uh, how much power does he have? Though he is powerful, he is called a God, yet he's far, 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 far less powerful than the Almighty God, the one who controls everything. But he is powerful enough to do this. He is powerful enough to rule over men. He's more powerful than you. He can rule over men... And he does that as the God of this world system. He is successful at turning the whole human race against Jehovah God. And so he works with the mind. He works with our inherent depravity. Our own depravity becomes Satan's operational base as a springboard for gaining control of our lives. He is also described as a ruler. He has a vast number of evil angels that are underneath him. He has a very highly structured hierarchy of these angels, and he appoints them as governors over different areas of the world. No doubt there is an evil angel that rules communist China. There is an evil angel that rules North Korea. I think that Ronald Reagan was right a few years ago when he said that the old Soviet Union was an evil empire. And I think that's because there was an evil angel that ruled over that particular area of the world. But I think that Reagan didn't quite go far enough that Satan also has his angel that rules over this part of the world where we are right here in the United States. And there's no doubt that, that Satan has one of his angels that is in the White House, that is in uh, the Congress of the United States, who is in the Supreme Court. And we see him working there just about every single week. Something comes out that lets us know that Satan is the God of this world. Now, I want you to keep those things in mind. Keep in mind Satan's activities as we turn our attention to talk about that particular subject. How does Satan do all of this? So our discussion today is the third part of the outline, and that is the activities of Satan. Satan's activities. Now, in the first part of the message, we talked about Satan's origin. He is a fallen angel. He was created by God as the most beautiful and powerful of all of the angels. And his beauty and his prestige became a source of pride to him. And so he was lifted up and he turned away from his creator. But we never want to forget this, that Satan is and he was created. He is a created being. He was created by God. He's not an eternal being. Only God exists eternally, and Satan is and always will be nothing more than a creature who is subject to the Almighty God. Now, in his descriptions, the Bible tells us where he came from. It tells us who he is. It tells us what his purposes are. As I mentioned a moment ago, he is called the devil, he is called a prince, a ruler, and a god. But now we turn our attention to his activities. How does he accomplish what he does in the world. But I think before we go into that, that we need to discuss a little bit about Satan's intelligence. Satan is very highly intelligent. He's a rational being. He thinks. That helps us to understand how he chooses what he does as he works in the world. Is Satan intelligent? Well, I think compared to us, he makes us look like complete fools. And Satan believes that we are fools because he knows that we're gullible enough to listen to his lies. We'll swallow every lie that he tells, hook, line, and sinker. 
Uh, we're just like a big mouth bass with our mouths wide open, just waiting for the devil to dangle his bait in front of us, his deceit in front of us. And what we do is we open up the mouth and we gobble that thing up like it's so good, like it's French pastry. That's what we want. Sometimes people say, well, if Satan is so intelligent, why doesn't he just give up now? Why doesn't Satan stop now? He has to know that he can't win. He's intelligent. Doesn't he read the Bible? Well, I wish I could answer that question. I don't know if there is a good answer for it. I guess I would have to ask you, do you read the Bible? Then why are you still sinning? Why do you still sin against God? You read the Bible, don't you? Well, Satan reads the Bible as well. He doesn't stop sinning. And that tells us that there's no one who can really understand the power of sin. Satan tempts us with natural desires. He uses that against us. And the truth is, he really doesn't have to do much more than that. He doesn't really have to do much more. Sin is already, already has its grip on our depraved minds, and so Satan does nothing other than just to exploit what's already there. Now, if you think about it, uh, Satan was Lucifer, and when he was created as Lucifer, there was no sin in him, and there was no one to tempt him to sin. There wasn't any sin and no tempters. Nobody tempted Lucifer. He did all of the damage to himself. And so what I'm telling you, as despite his intelligence, sin grips him as much or even more than it grips us because he's never able to break free from it. He is self-deluded in his sin, and unlike us, he doesn't have any provision to break free from it. He has no one to help him to get out of it because God has not provided any redemption for him. Does he read the Bible? Oh, yes, he reads the Bible. He knows it better than you. And he knows that he cannot win according to what the Bible says, but still he fights and he fights on and he does it and deepens his destruction. And you say, well, doesn't that make him stupid? Well, no, he's not stupid. You look at the rest of the world, it does the same thing. The Bible has been complete for now 2,000 years. And you wonder, why aren't there more people who believe the Bible? Why aren't there more people that have been saved in all of these 2,000 years since we've had it? Is it because people are stupid that they don't read the Bible? No, it's not because they're stupid. Some of the most highly intelligent people that you find in the world will ignore the Bible, the message of the Bible to their own peril. It has nothing to do with stupidity. You don't get saved because you're smart. Oh, people are intelligent. Some of the most, as I said, most intelligent people there are reject the Word of God, and that's because of their own inherent depravity. Now, the Bible seems to indicate that getting you to do the wrong thing is amazingly easy for Satan. It says in 2 Timothy, Paul said, that we are taken captive by him at his will. He does it easily, and people just follow Satan like lemmings off a cliff. Now, that points to the truth that the Bible tells about each of us, that we are helpless against Satan. We can't get out of sin unless Satan breaks those chains and sets us free. So yes, Satan is intelligent. There is no creature that knows more than him. He's, he, he's observed human behavior for thousands of years. He knows where you're going before you go. He knows what you want before you even realize it. He doesn't read your mind because he can't. He doesn't really need to because he knows that all humans are predictable. Oh, you've heard people say so many times, uh, I, I'm an individual, I'm proud of my individualism, I'm my own man, I do what I want to do. 
Nobody tells me what to do. We need to shut your mouth because you're just like billions of other people that are around you that follow lockstep with Satan everything that he wants you to do. Satan pushes you around just like a little kid pushes an ant with a stick. I know a preacher a few years ago, a friend of mine actually, who wrote a book about Satan. And he said, well, what we need to do is we need to stop discussing our plans because Satan can overhear us. And we have to be very careful about that because if we tell these things out loud, then Satan will know all of our secrets. Well, that sounds just like the thing that Satan wanted him to write. You don't have any secrets, and that's because Satan knows human behavior. He's looked at it and observed it. He's seen it all the time since Adam. Satan does not have to invent a new scheme to entrap you because you're not different. You're the same as everybody else. People are always the same. It's just like the preacher wrote in Ecclesiastes. He said, The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. There is nothing new about human behavior. And Satan knows how to use what we are against us. Now, just for a moment, speaking about intelligence, did you ever wonder why there aren't more atheists? Why doesn't Satan make more atheists? Why doesn't he spend time doing that? Wouldn't that be the best thing that Satan could do to turn people away from God? Just tell people there is no God. Why doesn't he make more atheists? Well, he doesn't do it because he's intelligent. Satan is a rational being, and anybody who says that there isn't a God is totally irrational. Irrational. In other words, an atheist is not much use to Satan. It's too difficult for Satan to make atheists. He's not going to spend time doing that because people know better than that. It's innate, innate in, our, in our being to know that there is a God. And so Satan's not going to waste a whole lot of time making a whole passel of atheists trying to get people to deny what's too hard to get them to deny. Now once you get to the point that you deny what you are by nature, then you actually can believe that monkeys can type Shakespeare. And so these atheists become the whipping boys and the laughing stocks of real angels, or of evil angels, I should say. They hear all this stuff that the atheists say, and they poke each other, and they make fun of the atheists because they're just poor, nutty souls. So what is Satan's best work, or what is his worst work, depending on the way that you look at it? His best work is to imitate God. His best work is to work within religion and try to turn people away from the true God by establishing his own religion. Not necessarily overt Satan workers, although there are some of those, but what he prefers to do is to counterfeit the God of the Bible. And that's the worst criminal activity that Satan is involved with. He gets into churches and he counterfeits the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. So what does Satan do? How, how does he accomplish that? What is he up to? Well, Satan has a trinity. God is a trinity, isn't he? He's Father, he's Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan wants you to think that he is God, and if he's going to do that, then he also needs a trinity. Well, this is a fascinating part of Satan's plan. In our past studies, we've discussed how that just before Christ comes to establish his kingdom upon the earth, that uh, Satan will be cast down to the earth, and while he is here in this short period of time, he'll do an untold amount of damage. 
During that time, Satan will come into and he will possess a certain man. And this man is an imitator. He is an imitation of the incarnate Jesus Christ. God became a man, and so Satan has his counterfeit. He has someone who is also a man. Satan comes in and he takes over the body of a man. We have the God-man who is Jesus Christ. And Satan has his demon man. He's not the Christ. He is the anti-Christ. What was Jesus' claim at the incarnation? Who did Jesus say that he was? Well, he claimed to be God, didn't he? Of course, he was God. He said, he, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees said, he makes himself to be God. So he claimed to be God. And what will the Antichrist do? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there is Satan's second part of his trinity, the Antichrist who claims that he is God, even as Jesus Christ claimed that he was God. So we have the first part of his trinity, that's Satan. We have the second part of his trinity, that is the Antichrist. Well, Satan also has a third person who makes his trinity an unholy trinity. In God's trinity, there is a third person, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just tell you something right quickly. When we say third person of the Godhead, we're not talking about rank. We're just saying that there are three people. Normally, we talk about God the Father first. We talk God the Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, we talk about the Holy Spirit who is God. That's not a ranking. They are all equal God. So... Satan has his other person, and it's the job of the Holy Spirit in the true Trinity to point people to Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever confuse that either. The Holy Spirit did not come to exalt himself. He came to shine the light on Jesus Christ and show us who he is so that we know the way of salvation. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Well, Satan has his third person who works similarly to point people to the Antichrist and show that he is what Satan calls the God of the world. Now, Satan is amazingly clever in the way that he does this. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 13, if you will, and we'll read just a little bit here about this third person that Satan has as a part of his trinity. Now, Satan is just diabolically slick. He does things to confuse us, things that you're never going to figure out. And so it's a really good thing that we have the Bible to tell us what Satan is about to do. Now, if you look at verse 11 in Revelation chapter 13, you see this remarkable tactic of Satan. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now we can stop at that point. In God's trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are equal. That's what I've just said. They're equal in power and authority. Now you see in these scriptures how that Satan mimics this with a false trinity. He has his antichrist, but he also has another that this scripture says who has all the same powers as the antichrist. It's another person, a third person, who has all the same powers as the Antichrist. 
Now, in the Scriptures, these two, the Antichrist and this other one, are called beast. That does not mean that they are wild beasts. They're not wild animals. It means they are ferocious like wild animals. But these are actually men. These are people that have been overcome by Satan. Now, notice what this other beast does. He causes people to worship the first beast, who is the Antichrist. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? He causes people to worship Jesus Christ. And so we see an imitation here. Here's a counterfeiting that's going on. Satan with his unholy trinity. Look at verse number 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Now this third person in Satan's trinity is actually called the false prophet. You'll see that in chapter 16 and verse 13, and also in chapter 19 and verse 20. He is called the false prophet. What does he have the power to do? Well, it says that he has the power to do wonders. Wonders is the same word as signs. And do you remember what the Holy Spirit did when he came? He brought signs and wonders. He enabled the the apostles to do signs and wonders. So do you see the parallels here? Satan, Satan tries to do everything that God does, only everything that Satan does is twisted with deceit. So God has his trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan has his, Lucifer, or Satan, and the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now the next thing that Satan does in his counterfeiting is that he has houses of worship. In his religion, he also has houses of worship. In the New Testament, Christ began his church, and Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan cannot defeat the true church of the living God. But although he can't defeat it, he never stops trying. He is relentless against it. He's been trying to do it since Jesus spoke those words. He fights outside and also inside to destroy the church but he's never going to be able to make the church go down in defeat. So what does he do? Well, since he can't defeat the true church, he counters by starting his own church. Uh, Most of you, you know, it's kind of good that we got a homegrown crowd today because I know we would have people that aren't going to like what I'm going to say next, but it's probably not going to bother you too much. Uh, I have to warn you. Just as the Apostle Paul did back there in that scripture that I read in Acts chapter 20. So just hold on a little bit here. Let's see what comes next. Satan works in all of the world's religions. I do not have to name them all. I don't have to give you a list of all of them because you take anything that is not biblical Christianity and you can put a label on it that says, This is the devil's religion. Anything that is not true biblical Christianity is the devil's religion. Satan works in all of the religions of the world, but his favorite place to work is among this great group that we call Christian. Satan loves to work among Christians. So if you ask why are there so many churches, you're about to get the answer now that Satan began a counterfeit church and all counterfeit churches in the Christian religion have flown out of have flown out of this evil religion that Satan started this evil church that Satan started well you say what is that church we're going to talk about it look in revelation chapter 17 
This church has a horrible name. God named it. Satan tries to cover up that name. And here's the name. It's very easy for us to see because it's written in capital letters in your Bible in Revelation 17, verse number 5. And upon her forehead, that is, upon this evil entity, this church of Satan and his government actually also is included here. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots, and the Abominations of the Earth. Now, in the first century, when the church first began, the seeds of apostasy were being sown. The apostles identified those seeds of apostasy. And that's what you find in the New Testament epistles when you see the New Testament arguing against false doctrines. The epistles are against false doctrines. And the apostles in those books, those little letters, are stamping out the seeds of apostasy. As an example, you might want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. That Paul said that the days are coming, and he said in the last days, which means those days that we're living in now since the time that Christ arose from the dead. And he said the days are coming when men will substitute doctrines of devils for the true doctrines of Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now relate that back to what I read in Acts chapter 20, grievous wolves shall enter in. This is who he's talking about. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe, listen, of them which believe and know the truth. Now you see that Satan here is working among those who know the truth. So we're not talking about pagan religion here. This is not talking about some far-out thing. This is talking about the Christian religion inside the Christian church. That's where Satan's working, and he's formulating this false Christianity. He said some will depart from the faith. That means he's talking about the faith of Christianity. Some will depart from the faith. He said they will leave the doctrines of Christ, and in their place they will put devilish doctrines. Do these kinds of things ring a bell that he mentions here? Forbidding people to marry? Who is it that demands that the priesthood remain celibate? And then it says abstaining or abstaining from meats. And you think about that. Who is it that abstains from foods? Who, who is it that for many, many, many years, I don't know how many years it was, that would ne- they would never eat any kind of meat on Friday except fish. They abstain from certain kinds of foods that God gave. Jesus named others of their doctrines too when he spoke in the book of Matthew. And he said, they speak vain repetitions. And who is it that uses the same hocus-pocus words over and over again? As recently as 50 years ago, nobody had any trouble recognizing who this was in Revelation chapter 17. The mother of harlots spoken of in that chapter is Roman Catholicism. Within 400 years of the New Testament, the seeds of apostasy had grown until it had produced a forest of perverted doctrine. The Roman Catholic Church is Satan's alternative to the true New Testament church. This is a church that puts itself above the Scriptures. 
It's introduced multitudes of doctrines that are not in the Scripture, that are against the Scriptures. It has replaced the doctrines of Christ with the doctrines of men. This is a church that has vigorously persecuted the true church to the tune of nearly 50 million people, in the, uh, uh, killing 50 million people in the years of its existence. It's positioned itself to kill millions of more as it becomes the mouthpiece of the Antichrist during the tribulation. Did you know this, that in the 17th century, there wasn't a, hardly a Bible-believing Christian anywhere, nor the commentators on Scripture who could not identify Revelation 17, verse 5? And they believed that the Antichrist that's spoken of in the Scriptures was none other than the Pope of Roman Catholicism. Now, I think we may know just a little bit better than that, that I don't think the Pope is the Antichrist, but he certainly is an Antichrist. And so they recognize these kinds of things. Nobody had any trouble recognizing this in the past except Roman Catholics. They didn't see it. And so you think about it. How good is Satan at this? How good is he at changing people's minds and things have been flipped around now? Well, we've seen it just this past summer. And that's when the Pope, for the first time in the history of this country, was invited to speak to a joint session of our Congress. Did anybody ever tell you why that never happened before in all the history of, this, of the United States? Why had that never happened? Why had the Pope never been invited, though he's been, the Popes of different times have been to this country, why were they never invited to address a joint session of Congress? Well, it's because people in this country have traditionally believed that Catholicism is very dangerous. People have believed that this country, and we know that it's true, that this country was founded by those who were persecuted by Roman Catholics and those that were like them. That Roman Catholicism was very notorious for killing people that were followers of Jesus Christ. Revelation 17, 6 says, And I saw the woman, that is this church, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, John doesn't mean that I admired her. It means it was just miraculous to see how much that she had done, how evil that she was. Now, the majority in our country would not tolerate the Pope speaking before Congress because our people knew the history of that church. We knew that the history of that church was murder. And did you know that in 1960, when John Kennedy became the president of the United States, one of the biggest objections against him becoming the president was because he was a Roman Catholic. And people thought they knew the history of Roman Catholicism, that the popes have controlled kings, and they were afraid that John Kennedy would lend himself to the ear of the pope. And he would listen, he'd lend his ear to the Pope, he would listen to him. That maybe that didn't come true, but that's the fear, because people understood how evil that Roman Catholicism was, or is. Now, Satan is relentless at this. The majority in Christian denominations today have changed their minds about this. For the past 200 years in this country, we believe that Roman Catholicism was bad for us, but now, the, almost all denominations have changed their minds, and now they believe the Pope is mankind's best friend. And so the devil has come, and he's parked himself in every denomination. And now the Pope is embraced as a great man, and our congressional leaders come and bow before the demon man and kiss his ring. Satan has his church, and Roman Catholicism has given birth to many, many others. She is the mother of harlots. 
If you wonder, why do I detest being called a Protestant? It's because I was never a part of Roman Catholicism. I will never concede that Roman Catholicism at any time in its history was anything other than a church of Satan. It's always been an apostate child of Satan. It's never been the true church. My church did not come from Roman Catholicism. My church was in existence before Roman Catholicism ever showed up, and my church never apostatized from the faith because the Bible says that's impossible for it to happen. The true church cannot apostatize. This is why I know Roman Catholicism can't be true. The true church cannot apostatize. Now what Satan does then, he mimics Christianity. He tries to destroy it. He does it through false churches that preach a false gospel. He has his houses of worship all over this country. And it goes under, they go under many different names. And sadly, folks, I have to tell you this, that many of them have the name Baptist on the door. Many of them also have the name Baptist on the door because whenever you depart from the doctrines of the faith and you join hands with Catholicism or anybody else, you you cut across the aisles and you ignore doctrine, you have just become a church of Satan. And so though it might have Baptist on the door, that doesn't mean that it's a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan has his houses of worship. Often they are beautiful. They are ornate. They have stirring music. They have emotional appeals. They have lively entertainment. In short, they have everything that the heart can desire. And that's the problem. They have everything that the heart can desire. They appeal to the flesh. And the doctrines of those churches are as ugly as hell itself. Now, an interesting thing about the acceptance of the Pope is the Scripture's description of it. As you see Protestants moving back towards the Pope, you see Revelation 17 unfolding. The Roman Catholic Church, I believe, will become the head of a one-world religion that embraces Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the great religions and uh, the lesser religions, minor religions of the world, they will all come under head the head of the Pope. That includes Muslims, and you see how the Pope today is even embracing Muslims and now has a new dialogue with them. Now, at one time, Christians believed, remember just talking about this just a couple of weeks ago, that at one time, Christians believed that Muslims were a horde of demons. Roman Catholicism even despised Muslims because what they did in the... In the uh, middle, middle Ages was to race across Europe destroying idols in Roman Catholic churches. They hated that, so they hated Muslims, and that's part of what the Crusades were about. They were trying to stop Muslims. But now, the Roman Catholic Church has embraced Islam. Why did they do that? Because they've always had this history that they will compromise in order to increase their power. Now, let me break it down for you. What is Satan doing? Why do I pick on this? Why am I talking about this? It comes down to one major thing, one main thing, and that is the destruction of the gospel. There is only one thing that can save you, and that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Satan does, he works at destroying the gospel, because when he does, he destroys God's work in the world. It was never about ownership of land. 
It's not about wealth. It's not about buildings. Those things don't mean, those things don't mean anything in the spiritual world. This is about the souls of men. This is what Satan wants. He wants souls that were created in the image of God to stay turned away from God. He wants to destroy any hope that God is going to be worshipped and glorified by his creation. So how does Satan destroy the gospel? Well, he starts with his false church. And who is it that leads his false churches? That's our third observation today. He has his ministers. Satan has ministers. False churches have false prophets. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, When you get ready to look for the devil, don't forget to check behind the pulpit. Now, am I stepping beyond the bounds of what a preacher ought to say? Am I saying more than what should be said in a pulpit uh, in a Christian church? No. I'm doing what Paul did to those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. I'm warning you. Because if these things weren't true, then the warnings would not be in the Scripture. If there wasn't a problem with this, it would not be in the Bible. Now, these false churches have false prophets. Some of them are very famous. Some of them are not famous at all. But the people that hear the teaching in the pulpit receive a message that will damn their souls to hell. Now let's compare a couple of scriptures. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are all preachers the same? You came here today, you probably figured that one out already. Are all preachers the same? Can you look good and can you sound good but still be a false prophet? 2 Corinthians has an answer for us. Chapter 11, verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now keep that scripture in mind, hang on to that if you want, and just go a few pages to Galatians chapter 1, just a few pages over, short trip. Satan is transformed into an angel of light, his ministers are transformed into ministers of righteousness, or appear to be ministers of righteousness. Now let's look at the problem in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, where Paul says to these churches in Galatia, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now there again we establish that the problem here is in the Christian church. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. By that he means it's not really a gospel. It's not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now once again, we see Paul's very, very strong language. In Acts 20, it was grievous wolves. Here in Galatians chapter 1, he uses strong language. He says, if anyone preaches a false gospel, even if they appear to be an angel of light that came straight from heaven, he says, let that person be accursed. Make sure you understand the language here. He said, accursed, and that is the word anathema. 
And it's a word that means condemned to hell. And that's where Satan and his demons will be, accursed in hell. Now, what's the problem? Well, the problem is the gospel. The false church and the false prophet distort the gospel. They preach false doctrines. Now, let's just take a brief look at that, then we'll be through for today. The devil has his doctrines. That's letter D. He has doctrines. The false church has false doctrines, and false ministers preach false doctrines. Now, if you think that because a preacher gets up behind a pulpit and he opens the Bible... Even if it's a King James Version of the Bible, if he opens the Bible, that means that what he's going to preach to you is the truth. You are sadly mistaken. The the devil is a master manipulator of Scripture. Haven't you read in Matthew chapter 4 that he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ himself with what? With Scripture. He twisted the Scriptures. Now, before the church barely got off the ground in the first century... False doctrines were already creeping in. And they were claimed to be the true doctrines of the Bible. If there is a doctrine in the Bible, Satan has thoroughly examined it and he's figured out a way that he can corrupt it. But there is one doctrine that he spends more time with than any other doctrine in the Scripture because this is the one that is the most critical to the Christian faith. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight into that Galatians passage we read a moment ago. Paul began by saying, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel. The gospel is the thing on his mind. The question in the gospel is, how are you going to be saved? And Paul's argument here is, if someone preaches a message about how you are to be saved, and it's the wrong message then you're not going to be saved. And somebody who preaches that, he says, let him be accursed. Why? Because a false gospel sends people to hell. You have to have the truth in order to get into heaven. So people hear a false gospel, they believe it, and they think they're okay. I went to church, I heard this, this is what I'm supposed to do, so now I know that I'm on my way to heaven, or at least I'm trying to get there by doing these things. But let's look at what Paul has to say about that. Just go to chapter 3 in Galatians, just a few more pages. Galatians chapter 3, where Paul identifies the problem of the false gospel. He says, O foolish Galatians, verse number 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit... By the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Now, in those first two chapters in Galatians, Paul gave his credentials. A few months ago, or actually it's been a couple of years ago now, we studied the first part of Galatians. Maybe we'll get to finish it up. But in that first part of Galatians, Paul gave his credentials. He explained that he was an apostle that he had received his information directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he very says this very clearly, that the other apostles did not teach him what he knew. He got his information from Jesus Christ. This is why he is authoritative on this subject. So when you listen to Paul, who are you listening to? Jesus Christ, exactly right. When you read Paul, you are reading Jesus Christ. Now, the problem of the Galatians was this great doctrine that was perverted 
which is the doctrine of justification. Justification just simply means, and we don't have to go into it deeply today, it means how are you going to be right with God? How can you be just with God? That's what justification is. That's the cardinal doctrine. And the question is, are we justified by our works and our faith? I mean, nobody, I think, denies that you need faith. But are we justified by our works and our faith, or are we justified by faith alone? Now, as a historical note, this is the doctrine that drove Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all of the Reformers out of the Roman Catholic Church. Luther believed Paul that we are justified by faith alone. So received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now the Roman Catholic Church answered that question. How did you receive the Spirit? How do you get saved? The Roman Catholic Church answered the question by saying, we receive the Spirit by what we do. We have to work for it. And they give us an endless number of good works to do. We have to keep sacraments. And unless you keep these sacraments and a host of other things, then you cannot be justified. And so they say that justification is by your efforts. You need faith, but you also need your works. Your justification is not complete unless you have these works. Paul said to this question, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul answered that question, No, not by works. Luther answered, No, it's not by works. Calvin said, No, it's not by works. And the Pope said, Yes, it is. The Pope said, yes, it is. And Paul said, anybody that teaches that you need works in order to be saved, let him be what? Accursed. Let him be accursed. Anathema. Right there, do you know what Paul did? He consigned the Pope and his cronies and all of their doctrines to hell because they teach a false gospel. The Pope hasn't changed. Now, he might be personally appealing. People talk about that, how a per- what a personality, a great personality the new pope is. He might be appealing personally, but so is the Antichrist. He is appealing personally. The pope hasn't changed. The Roman Catholic Church has not changed. The priests have not changed. The pope is going to ride his mobile down the broad road of destruction, and everybody that waves to him as he goes by is going to the same place with him. Every Sunday... What do they do? Every day of the week, what do they do? Well, they teach people that they're right with God by their own efforts. They pour wine, they pass wafers, they sprinkle babies, they pray for the dead, they light candles, they pay their dues for relief from purgatory, they pray to Mary and call her the Queen of Heaven. And to all of that, the Bible says, let them be accursed. Now, we used to know better, but now we say, And Christian denominations say, let the Pope be exalted. Every Sunday morning we sing about Christ. He is exalted. He is exalted on high. Whereas they sing, the Pope, he stands in the place of Jesus Christ. Let him be exalted. Same stuff that the false prophet does for the Antichrist. So the Pope is a destroyer of the gospel. But they say that's okay. He's, he's a great man. Hand him your babies. Let him kiss them. Let him speak to Congress. Paul said, let him be accursed. Now where do we get all this stuff? The devil has his doctrines. He has replaced the doctrines of Jesus Christ with the doctrines of devils and called them righteousness and said this is the truth. 
He destroys the cardinal doctrine of justification by faith alone. And folks, if you don't get that one right, you cannot be saved. Pervert that, pervert that doctrine and all other doctrines will fall with it. So you just go down the list of doctrines in the Bible. Satan has perverted them all. He's perverted baptism. He's changed it from immersion to sprinkling. Uh, now, infants, or for many centuries now, infants are baptized that have no idea what faith in Christ is all about. That's been changed. Baptism has become a means, a means of regeneration. The doctrine of sanctification is perverted. The doctrine of the church has been perverted. And if we don't have Roman Catholicism's view of the universal church, then the universal visible church, then we have the view of the universal invisible church. And uh, Satan calls that a mystical body of Christ, which does not exist. Spiritual gifts are perverted, so that the biggest thing going today is speaking in tongues, which is an invitation for Satan to come in and sit on the front pew. The deity of Christ has been perverted. That one's a favorite of the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. And that list goes on. Every, every doctrine, every truth in Scripture has been turned on its head by Satan and his false prophets. Religion, then. Get this. Religion is Satan's greatest weapon. He uses it often. He uses it liberally. This is why you don't see a lot of atheists, because this is his best tactic, to get into the Christian church and to pervert it. And so when you step into a church that says Christian on the door, you had better check it out to see if that doctrine is good or bad because Satan has a lot of Christian churches. Someone said to me the other day, I'm so happy, I'm so happy that my relatives have started going to church. It's not this kind of church, but they're going to church and I'm glad they're going to church. Don't be so fast. Don't take comfort in the fact that your family is going to church because it's a very good chance that it's one of Satan's churches. The delusion goes on. People go to hell from a church pew just as quickly as they do from a bar stool. The question is, do you know the truth of the gospel? Jesus saves, and he does that by faith alone in the sacrifice that he made on Calvary. Believe that and you will be saved. You substitute anything for that, you have the doctrine of the devil for which God says, let those who teach it be accursed. Do you understand why Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I have ceased not to warn you day and night with tears about this. This is happening. We see it before our eyes. Make sure that the church that you go to is preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now very humbly, thanking you, Lord, for truth that has been revealed. Lord, that your Holy Spirit has opened blinded eyes, eyes that could never tell the difference between what is right and wrong as far as religion is concerned, that we would never know what the truth of the gospel is without the Holy Spirit breaking the chains of sin that binds us. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And Lord, help us not to be timid about talking about these issues, to stand up for what is true. And though we're small in number, uh, the church has always been that way. And though we dwindle because we won't accept the compromises that are going on around us, Lord, help us to still maintain truth, still teach the truth, because we want people to go to heaven 
We don't want to be responsible for anyone that dies and goes to hell. Lord, help us with this today. Help us to be a church that stands for the truth of the word uncompromisingly, no matter what the doctrine is. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm glad that I have witnesses today because I want to ask you a question. Did you at any time hear me say during this message that you have to be a Baptist to go to heaven? Anybody hear me say that? Okay, because I will invariably be accused of that sometime, somewhere, that this message was preached to say that only Baptists can go to heaven. I don't believe that. I believe that you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you must trust Him and Him alone for your salvation. And if you believe that, then you're going to go to heaven. I think that you ought to be a Baptist. You want to hear the next message, maybe I'll preach that one. I think that you ought to be a Baptist because I wouldn't be a Baptist if I didn't believe that we were right on many, many other things. So, yeah, I'm a Baptist. I'm not ashamed of that at all. I thank the Lord that he opened my eyes to certain truths in the Bible, and that's why I I am a Baptist. But I'm not going to tell anybody that you join the church and you're safe now. You get your name on the church roll, and if it's a Baptist church, you're okay. You're on the way because that is a lie of Satan as well. That is a lie that sends people to hell in Baptist churches every year and sometimes hundreds of them because they got their name on the church roll or they walked down the baptistry or they shook the preacher's hand and they made some kind of affirmation and nothing ever really happened to them but but they're safe because they're in the church now no 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 don't put your name on a baptist church roll and say everything's okay no it's it's all about what you believe about jesus christ is your faith in him is your faith in Him. Trust Him alone to save you. That's the whole idea, the justification by faith alone thing. He is salvation. It's only in Him. Then when you get saved, become a Baptist. That's my best advice for you today. All right, we're going to sing another verse of our song. I hope, uh, I hope nobody's angry at me because of what I've said. I just hope you listen. Check everything I say by the Bible. Somebody preaches that salvation is not by grace, it's by some other way, that you have to have works mixed in with that. Paul said that person is to be accursed. There is no such thing as mixing grace and works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Work is no more works. You can't put those two together. So we have to have the truth of the gospel, and I hope that's what you believe. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707 584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church 6298 Country Club Drive Ronert Park, California 94928 Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org